The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 26, Elysium Part 1. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. In tonight's episode, we are traveling to Elysium, a nightclub that for many years has been a home for the alternative and goth communities here in Austin, Texas, for the past 19 years. Serving up a diverse lineup of events, ranging from 80s dance nights to witchy galas, Elysium has been doing its part to not only keep Austin weird, but also provide a safe haven for those who sometimes feel like outsiders or misfits. And aside from being one of the longest-standing entertainment venues in Austin, Elysium has quite a bit of haunted lore surrounding it. I've heard the stories such as resident ghosts that employees know by name, poltergeist activity throughout the building, a very haunted women's restroom, secret hidden rooms that are off-limits to the public due to too much activity, and to top it all off, an owner who is said to be a medium, who has very detailed information on the building's history and haunts. So let's dive in and uncover the haunted secrets of Elysium. Stay tuned. If you're new to the show, a quick note. This podcast is best devoured in chronological order, so we highly recommend that you stop here and begin your journey with us on episode 1, Ink, Coffee, and Spirits. Before we dive in, we have some relevant announcements for you listeners. Buenos Aires Cafe and Milonga Room now have a Night Owl Hidden Spirits menu. Just like our menu at the Clay Pit, there will be a selection of unique cocktails designed specifically for our show and the spirits that haunt this lovely cafe in East Austin. Once again, Sarah guided Milonga bartenders on the designs to best fit the spirits and their tastes, and much care and thought was put into the designs of these very elegant cocktails. So be sure to stop by Buenos Aires Cafe to try these new drinks. Remember, you're not only supporting a great local business, you're also going to be supporting our show. A portion of these special drink sales comes right back to us and helps us keep the show alive. Note that this Hidden Spirits menu will be available both at the upstairs cafe bar and down in the basement speakeasy Milonga Room. But please note that if you are going to want to attend Milonga Room, you must make reservations beforehand. Visit buenosairescafe.com for business hours and reservation information. We hope to see some of you there. Secondly, we're very excited to announce that the Night Out Podcast has a headquarters, a home base, here in Austin. And in even better news, it's at one of our favorite haunts the Spider House Cafe. The space is looking great, and we're mostly going to be using it for our inventory, having meetings, and handling our business, but we have plans to eventually have a small portion of the space designated as a small storefront where locals can come by and grab merch and shop other occult and paranormal curiosities. The team and I are trying to figure out some shop hours and availability, but in the meantime, I've set up an option on our online store where you can select local pickup already. So if you want to grab some merch now without the shipping costs, you can go to thenightoutpodcast.com and do so. You'll just need to reach out to us via email to schedule a time to pick up your items at the shop. In line with this announcement, our amazing team member Alexis and his partner Eric will also have a shop next door to us at the Spider House. Their practice, called City Alchemist, will have their own shop directly below Royal Legion Tattoo. 
And last but not least, if you love the show and want to know how you can best support us, in all honesty, it's Patreon. I absolutely could not make this show without the support of my amazing Night Owl patrons. So thank you to all those that have supported, continue to support, and to some of you who might jump on and become a patron tonight. To do so, just visit patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, slash the Night Owl Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. When you need custom t-shirts, this shop's got your back. Crisp, clean t-shirt printing without setup fees or hidden costs, and always delivered on time. Oboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y, printshop.com. Mention the Night Owl Podcast and get $50 off your first order. It was September 23rd and I had just gotten off of work. I found parking on Red River and was now standing on the sidewalk at the corner of 7th and Red River. The new building we were about to investigate was Elysium Nightclub. Now, Elysium is one of Austin's longest-standing entertainment venues that has been doing its part to keep Austin weird for nearly 20 years now. The club has been catering to Austin's nightlife needs with niche offerings like goth nights, a very popular 80s night every Sunday, burlesque and drag shows, live bands, oddities markets, and themed balls. But what makes this club so special is how it caters to a very diverse crowd yet has strongly upheld a nurturing culture where everyone is always welcome, no matter what. In fact, the bartenders here all jokingly refer to the bar as the Island of Misfit Toys, a reference from the classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Claymation, in which the cartoon depicts an island where all the strange and odd toys have been secluded to, but have banded together and formed a society of misfits. But where this long-standing entertainment venue sits today, 705 Red River Street, has seen many businesses and a whole lot of history over the past 180 years. And there's even a mural by an artist named Tim Kerr painted on the side of the building itself. It's a simple black background with white words detailing the incredible history this property has seen in that time. But I hadn't done any research at this point, and I wanted to just simply gather the stories and lore around Elysium first. Alexis and Tao had arrived now, and as I stood on the sidewalk reading over this written history that had been painted on the exterior of Elysium, co-owner Sarah Wickham approached and greeted us warmly. Hi, I'm Sarah. Apologizing that traffic had kept her from arriving on time. It really was no bother, and we quickly moved off the sidewalk and into the darkness of Elysium. We were here on a day of the week that Elysium isn't usually open, so the venue was eerily quiet. On a regular night, you can imagine the DJs, the music on the dance floor, the crack of the pool balls coming from the small billiard room, the buzz of chatter at the bar, and the clinks and pours of beers and cocktails, a constant part of the ambience of the night here at Elysium. But right now, it was just silence and darkness. Sarah apologized that the venue didn't have much in the form of actual lighting, just a few lights when the club and dance floor were in action. So we just hung out in the dimly lit area around the bar and waited for a few other employees to arrive who had experiences to share. Elysium had originally been put on my radar of potential places to investigate by a few people I'd met on other episodes, actually. Allie from Haunted ATX, who was featured on the Clay Pit series, had told me some very interesting stories she'd heard and nudged me to look into the venue. Sarah, another Sarah, 
A former employee at the Spider House had also mentioned working at a bar next to Elysium and alluded to the building's haunted lore. The more I heard about Elysium from the show's community, the more intrigued I became. And before long, I noticed a couple of repeated claims. One was that the building in which Elysium now stands had a seedy history, one that has become all too familiar with places I've investigated on this show. Rumors were abound that a hidden brothel was once somewhere in this building and that Elysium owners now kept this area off-limits and secret. I'd also heard a lot of stories about some scary and disturbing experiences that had happened in this hidden area of Elysium. The second interesting tidbit I'd been hearing is that co-owner Sarah Wickham was a psychic medium. Many of the folks who'd shared this with me said that they knew her well and that she had a very clear understanding of the many spirits that haunted this building, had actually worked to remove some of them, and continues to have communication with those that have remained. So as we sat in the darkness of Elysium and waited for others to arrive, I decided to speak with Sarah first and gain an understanding of her gift. She was aware of the show, of our clairvoyant Sarah, and she was excited to share her stories and learn what our Sarah would potentially see on a future visit to this building. My name is Sarah Wickham. My husband and I own Elysium. We've owned it since 2001. I have been coming here before we actually owned the bar back in 1997 when it was Atomic Cafe. We were friends with the previous owner and we had really made a nice connection with him and his family. Um, when he passed away, his, his parents ran it for a while. We felt really compelled when they said they wanted to sell it to keep it going for his sake, you know. So we asked them if we could purchase the building, and they really weren't sure about it at first. But then his mom had a visit from him saying for them to sell it to us. And so when we took over the business, we decided to keep Sunday nights, 80s night, because that was the most successful night he had. And we have his picture up here to honor him. But from the time I was a small child, I've been able to see spirits. I didn't really realize other people didn't see them until I was probably about seven. Because to me, they always look like people. They might be, some of them might look like they're glowing. Other ones might look like they're from a black and white movie. I just didn't know there was a difference. Um, it's kind of like looking at different colored roses. They're all roses until somebody points out they're all different colors, right? So about when I was seven was the first time I had an experience where I realized other people didn't see them. My dad and I, we were going to the grocery store one day and on the way home we decided to drag Main Street. I'm from a small town so it's from bridge to bridge. It's not very far at all. And as we were going across one of the bridges in the middle of the road I saw this nurse standing there and she was very beautiful in an old-time nurse outfit and she was smiling at us and we drove through her. And when I turned around, she was in the back seat of the car. And she never said anything, she just smiled at me and almost telepathically, I knew we were going to be taking her to work. So when we turned around at the end of the bridge to go back down to the other bridge, you pass by the hospital. So as we passed by the hospital, she got out of the car, she was gone. And I knew we had dropped her off at work. So when we got home, my, my stepmother asked, where have you been? And my dad said, oh, we decided to drag Main Street one time before coming home. And I said, and we took the pretty nurse to work, which caused a fight. <laughs> um, that was the first time I got scolded for talking about 
spirits because they thought maybe I was making things up for attention or it was my imagination, but yeah, I caused a problem. Periodically after that, I would not talk about it at all because I got in trouble, but every once in a while I'd mention it and they'd be like, oh, you have an overactive imagination. At nighttime, I would be absolutely terrified because they would surround me. I just grew up thinking I had an overactive imagination at that point and suppressed it for a long time. I was about 25, and my husband and I just got married, and I would wake up being surrounded by people. It would sound like you were in a football stadium, everyone talking to you at once. And they would poke me and hit me and pull my hair, trying to get my attention. And I honestly thought, good God, I'm going insane. I'm going to have to be committed. I just thought something was really wrong with me. So I, I I hid it for a while. And then it got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm not getting sleep, I'm terrified, I think there's something wrong with me, I need to tell my husband. And I did, and he said, Sarah, you're fine. It sounds like you're a medium. And he went and bought me books, and when the moment I accepted my gift, everything just calmed down. So there was one night I was here, because I loved Atomic Cafe Sunday nights, 80s night, we still hold that tradition to today. I was down at the back bar, close to the women's restroom, just standing there. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught a glimpse of this man that seemed out of place. He, I was really expecting when I turned to look at him, because I knew he was a ghost. They looked different to me. I was expecting him to disappear, because that's often what happens, right? You look at them straight on, they're gone. But he stayed there. And he looked like an old gunslinger from the Western days. Um, If you've ever seen the TV series Preacher, he looks like that cowboy. We locked eyes, and and this chill just went through my body, and I just knew he had killed a lot of people, and I think he was hung for it. Um, The interesting thing about this is that happened back in probably 97, 98, about mm, maybe like seven years ago. I was telling somebody about that story, and one of the patrons overheard me talking about him and she came over and she said did he have a brown coat on and she started talking about him describing him even more in detail and I was like yes that's him she goes I've seen him walking up and down Red River and other people have reported seeing him as well then about three years ago I'm at home and my daughter has the gift as well and she came running upstairs to the bedroom and she said mom there's someone in the house And I said, okay, who is it? And she said, he looked like an old cowboy. I could hear his spurs clinking as he was coming down our steps. And she said, he just turned and looked at me and then walked out our front door. I actually wound up having to deal with the spirit. We had to get rid of him because he started stalking me because he mistaked me as someone, let me see how to explain this, From what I understand, he thought I was the person that turned him in and got him hung because he confided in one of the working girls what he had done, and I think she turned him over to the authorities. But for some reason, he thought it was me. But I'm very protective of the spirits here, so that's probably why. One of my friends was visiting from England who is a psychic medium as well. And at the time that he was there, it just so happened this cowboy came around again 
And so together we were able to convince him, I'm not the person you're looking for. And we were able to get him where he needed to be. And no one's seen him since, as far as I know. So my name is John Maverick. I work security at Elysium Nightclub, but I started coming in here in 1997 when it was the Atomic Cafe Nightclub. I was only 17 years old, but in Austin, in the 90s, you could do that. Uh, I am also a tour guide for the Austin Ghost Tours, and the two have melded together very well. And then I bring tours in here a couple times a year and talk about all the wonderful ghosts. What's fun for me history-wise with this building is it's actually really hard to get solid information. There have been a few buildings here through the years. For most of its existence, or early existence, it was a barn. From what I can tell, originally it was three mule barns that went up in the 1880s. Several years later, there's a little bit of argument, but it might have been during World War I, they were combined, the three barns were combined into one to house a large team of horses for the U.S. Army. There are rumors that at one point it was a brothel, and that is substantiated by some of the strange rooms and objects found in some of the storage areas that are off limits. Most of those nobody even goes to because they're cluttered with centuries worth of objects that we don't even want to touch. It's just old equipment. Most of its life in the 20th century, this building was an antique store, several different antique store. In fact, Red River was known from about 1920 until the late 70s as a used furniture area. Montessori was actually owned by um, African-American families, and it was really sort of the east meets west area. Most folks who were shopping for furniture on the west side of Austin, this is as far east as they would go. Austin was a very segregated city, and this being the furthest west of East Austin, this is pre-I-35, there was no big barrier to separate East and West Austin. This was the start of it. So this was the start of what they would say back then, Black Austin. And, uh, but it was still part of downtown. This was as far east as you could go and still consider yourself downtown. There are a lot of hauntings here that I do not have names for. That, as a ghost tour guide, is always frustrating. I love to be able to put a name to my story. Got a couple of those? Great. I know who they were, in fact. Can't even say with one story. I knew him when he was alive. But some things I just can't explain. I'm going to start off with my story, my personal story. I left my laptop here one night 18 years ago. You know, working late, dropped it off. I came downtown to pick it up, met the bar manager at another establishment, got his key to come down, let myself in, and get my laptop. As I'm going to the back bar where my laptop was, the TV is on. That's normal. TV's almost always on. But there was a break in the telecast where just a few moments of silence. And during that silence, at the other end of the bar, on the dance floor, I heard two people talking. On the far left side of the stage first I thought it was something coming from the bar next door, but there's no way I could hear voices clearly from there. It was just talking there on the dance floor. I just kept walking and grabbed my laptop. That was still in the early days of me doing my ghost tours, but I got back to the bar manager and said, hey, 
I've always thought this place is haunted. You got any good stories? And he started filling me in. His favorite story to tell me for years was standing at the back bar with a patron. Patron's name's Chris, friend of the club, a short man. He is sitting on the bar stool. Bar manager turns his back for a moment and he hears Chris almost scream, just more of a, a yelp, very confused, turns around and one of the lights is just swinging back and forth. There's no way Chris could have hit the light. He's not tall enough. Even standing on the bar stool, he would not have been able to push that light that fast without the bar manager seeing him. Once again, that's a story. I have no idea who that ghost is. I've got no connection. We haven't seen anything. I don't know anyone, any reason why someone would be just moving lights. That same manager one day gives me a call. Says, are you downtown? I said, sure, why? He said, there's something weird going at the club. It's ghost-related. I want you here now. Finished up, walked down here, and actually met him out front of the building. He'd been downstairs at the back bar. And all of a sudden, the wall between the back bar and the ladies' restroom was shoved, hit. Somebody slammed into it. He was surprised none of the bottles were actually knocked off the liquor cabinet. His first thought was, well, they missed somebody last night. There's a drunk in the stall. He goes, he looks, there's nobody there. At that point, he gives me a call. A few minutes later, he is walking back behind the back bar, and there's a man standing there. He's never seen this man, doesn't know this man, and the man is mad, has just this scowl on his face, doesn't want anyone there. He decides to leave at that point, runs straight out the door, and that's where I met him. That back bar has had its share of activity through the years. I will say this, though. My favorite story of someone I do not know haunting this place comes from one of our other bartenders, Ben. He was in the office. It's 4 a.m. He's doing the numbers, and he hears something at the bar. Instead of going and looking, he turns and just looks at the video cameras, the monitors in the office, and there is a man at the bar serving drinks. He doesn't know the guy, and he says, well, that's beyond my pay grade, and just goes back to work. (laughs) Because that's Ben. Came out a few minutes later, everything was in place. A lot of times I refer to the ghosts and my experiences with them here as above my pay grade. It's not something I particularly delve into, or even something I really care all that much about. It's just something I have to deal with. Anyway, my name is Ben. I am a longtime employee of the Elysium Nightclub, and uh, I've been here for about 10 years. Well, my role here at the bar has changed over the years. When I started, I was a bouncer, uh, came in to replace someone that had gotten injured on the job. Then I became a bartender. Now I'm sort of an office manager and handyman. Uh, bartend on the weekends, but my primary job here is to make sure the place keeps running and stays as intact as a building from the 1800s can be. I don't know, in terms of otherworldly experiences in this building, there have been so many. They all just kind of blend together. Got a couple of frequent flyers that are a continual pain in my rear end. I think one of the first ones I ever run into around here, it's one that we refer to as the Lady in Black, presence that inhabits our women's restroom. Never quite get a full picture of what she looks like, but I think she looks a little bit like one of our regular mothers. Victorian-style dress. Sort of tall, starched collar sort of thing. Big old hobnail looking boots. My first encounter with her was when I was training 
probably 2011, 2012 with a guy named Jimmy, who was the guy that I sort of replaced. And he used to just sort of shoo the ghosts out like he was trying to shoo a raccoon away from a dumpster. Just, you know, stamp his boots and just be like, get out of here, you know, sort of thing like that. He didn't really care much for the paranormal. He just doing his job. I think that first encounter I had with them was um, probably that lady in black. You know, you go in, clean the bathroom, everything's ship-shaped, turn around to walk out, hear a couple of doors slamming, and all of a sudden there's toilet paper all over the floors. And You were the only person that ever went in there. And I've had numerous encounters with her over the years, or at least heard secondhand encounters of that with, you know, one or two of the people left in the building when I'm here at 4 in the morning trying to fix something. When, on the rare occasion that I'll actually see her rather than just experience the effects of her being there, I'll see her hobnail boots sort of under a door or something like that, or I'll catch a glimpse of her sort of over my shoulder in the mirror uh, that's above the sink or possibly the full length that's over by the door. Not even really trying to look for anything, just, you know, I'm facing that direction you catch a glimpse over your shoulder. And then you turn around and she's gone. But over the years, I've just stopped trying to flip around and catch a glimpse of her. It's just, oh, you're there. Great. What part of my night are you trying to ruin tonight? Really, it just feels like, particularly in the case of the lady in black in the bathroom, that she's just annoyed that I'm there and that I'm interfering with her space. I'm not really a medium. I'm not someone that's super enamored of the paranormal. This is just one of the annoyances of my job. My name is Felicia Clark. Um, I am one of the people that is on a Texas Ghost and Spirit Intervention Team with Sarah. And we have done a couple of investigations here, actually. Me personally, I was in the women's room. The club was shut down. There was nobody here. And the door was shut. And I remember I was just finishing up my stuff and I went to walk out. And just as I got up, I heard somebody in the bathroom. I heard footsteps. And I thought maybe it was my partner, Sherry. <laughs> it was like, who is this? So I waited because I was going to scare her because she didn't know I was in there. And then I heard nothing. As soon as it got real quiet, no more steps, the towel dispenser went off three times. It went off. And then it stopped, and then it went off again, and then again, real quick. And I thought, this is creepy. So I stepped out, and there was absolutely nobody in there. I realized that I was by myself. After I talked to, to Sarah about it, she said, yeah, that dispenser's been going off lately. Just randomly, other people have mentioned it. And I said, well, I just experienced it. <laughs> and I heard footsteps. So that was... My first thing, and it sounded like female footsteps. You know, there's a difference in, this, in the sound of the, the shoes, right? At least to me, it seemed like it. It felt like it. My name's Janice. I'm with Austin's Medium, the group me and Sarah put together. My experience um, is down, when you go down by the women's bathroom. I call her the madam because she looks like somebody that would have been you know, the brothel back then, she was standing at the back door near the bathroom to the um, ladies, and um, she kind of startled me. I wasn't expecting her to stand there. 
but she didn't say anything do anything and I just kind of walked into the woman's bathroom and when I walked back out she was gone my name is Sarah, and currently I am residing in western Washington state, but I had been a resident of Austin, Texas from about 1998 up until 2013. I had spent a lot of that time in Elysium and downtown areas of Austin. About the time between 2005 to 2009, I was dating a resident DJ there and was also involved in event planning and hosting and, and other facets of club nature. A lot of times I would be at the club before and after hours uh, getting things ready. This particular instance, I believe, was in 2007, and we were just kind of getting ready for the club to open. It was way before time, and I had to get dressed into typical club regalia. So a lot of the people I were with, they decided to go next door to get a few drinks and get ready for the night, and so I stayed behind. I was in the club by myself. I was in the bathroom, which at the time did not have a door on it. And I was getting ready, looking in the mirror and not really looking behind me. And there's a step leading up to the bathroom, so you can always hear footfalls when somebody's standing outside. This particular time, I thought everybody was gone, and I heard the footfalls on the step. And I thought, oh, well, I'll be ready in a little bit. I kind of yelled over my shoulder. When I did that, I looked, and there was nobody there. Typically, I'm a, I'm a skeptic about a lot of things, but I do realize there are some things that just you cannot explain away. I really got a huge case of the heebie-jeebies there. And decided to take my makeup bag next door to the sidebar and continue getting ready for the night. Other than that, sometimes you do get feelings there, even when the club is, you know, open during business, taps on the shoulder, whispers in your ear when nobody's there. So I think the most prominent spirit here is Emma. Emma hangs out by the women's restroom and in that back bar area. She is dressed in... Victorian clothing, most people see her wearing black. She likes to stand in the women's restroom, not really sure. Some of our employees that are hardcore skeptics have experienced her that are not skeptics anymore. I went to the History Center to research her, and I did find an Emma that lived here during the time period and had this as her address. I haven't really had a lot of conversations with Emma, so I don't know why she's still here or what she's doing. I, it just kind of feels like she's watching over the place. There was a night when I still DJed on Wednesdays that one of my friends and I were at the front bar talking. We were the only people here because it was early. And we see this white mist in the shape of a woman in Victorian clothing walk between the two pillars. And I caught it out of the corner of my eye and I thought, okay, there's Emma. And I turned and I watched her and he's talking and all of a sudden he stops mid-sentence and he turns and he just turns white. And he's like, is, 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 that a, is that a ghost? He's like, I have never in my entire life had a paranormal experience. He's like, I am freaking out right now. I was like, it's just Emma. But women will report her. If she doesn't like them, she will make them uncomfortable. She will flicker the lights. She'll set off the paper towel dispenser. She, she can kind of be feisty. There was a time when we were filming for South by Southwest. Uh, it was like a document on paranormal stuff. And the cameraman was here. And we were down by the back bar area. And we're all sitting at the back bar area. Nobody's in the restroom. And I said, jokingly, Emma, 
if you're here, let them know. And the paper towel dispenser went off. And they're like, no way. And I'm like, yep, that's Emma. She likes to do that. And they're like, okay, we're going to debunk this, right? So they go and they look at the towel dispenser, try to debunk it. And I said, okay, everybody out of the bathroom. Let's just stand at the door and give her space. I said, Emma, show them you're here. Can you make it go off two times? It goes off two times. Can you make it go off five times? Five times. Seven times. And we just kept giving different numbers. And each time she did the exact number we asked, we wasted a lot of paper towels. But it was so great because the person who had the camera was like, I just put in a fresh battery. This is awesome. We're getting this on video. And when they went to play it back, battery dead, nothing filmed. And even on our monitors, people have seen her walking across the floor. But when you play it back, it doesn't film it. So I guess she's camera shy. (laughs) Emma is still felt. People will feel her in the women's bathroom. Our employees experience her. She is very much a part of this building. Elysium's haunted history was slowly coming together with the beginnings of these interviews. But there were still several pieces of this puzzle that hadn't been even brought out to the table yet. I was anxious to hear more of these employees recall their experiences and perhaps bring to light some of these things I'd heard and was curious about with this case, especially the secret rooms that were off-limits to the public and a spirit that many of the stories allude to as being a friendly ghost that many of the staff actually know by name. Stay tuned, and after this short break, all this and more will be uncovered. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop, custom printed t-shirts made in Austin with love. Now, there are many reasons why I love this family-owned print shop and why Oh Boy is my go-to shop for all things Night Owl, but let me pick one to rave to you about today. Have you ever ordered custom tees from an event or bought some from your favorite band or company? only to realize that they're thick, scratchy, and look like you're wearing a bag that isn't very flattering on you? Well, that's one thing that won't happen to you when you're with Oh Boy Print Shop. They offer a variety of t-shirts to provide the right choice to meet your needs. I myself prefer comfortable, slightly fitted tees that look and feel awesome enough to wear every day, either by themselves or under a throwover shirt or sweater. Oh Boy Print Shop helped me pick out a tee that fit those needs, and honestly, when I open my closet in the morning, I skip all my other tees and go straight for the night owl shirt, because it's the most comfortable and flattering tee in my entire closet now. Oh Boy's aim is to provide you with the options that help you get the product that meets your every need. So, there's no more need for hesitating. Order your first batch of custom printed tees with Oh Boy Print Shop today, and you'll be in great hands. Plus, now you can get $50 off your first order by simply mentioning the Night Owl Podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit ohboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. So far, I was piecing together that the only spirit that a majority of staff and patrons had experienced was Emma, the woman in black who resided primarily in the back bar area in and around the women's restroom. I was impressed at how many of the experiences involved actual sightings as well, but this club had more activity that was harder to pin to one single spirit or energy in the building. The series of testimony that you're about to hear are experiences that were had less frequently, but ultimately are a big part of Elysium's haunted lore. One night, um, before it got really packed out here, I had some. I was with some friends, and a friend of mine was standing next to me. And he went. Well, he went to the bathroom, and then he came back, and he was standing next to me. And he said, "So I see there was this really, really nice-looking guy here, and I've never seen him before. And he was wearing this long 
dark, like, cloak, like a long coat. And I think he said it was a leather coat. And he had on leather pants, and he was wearing a black shirt. I mean, he saw features all over him. And he, he said his hair was dark. It was about, you know, just past his ears. And he said, I just kind of stood there and looked at him. And he looked right at me. And he said, just as soon as I turned around to come and get you, I turned back around a second later, and he was gone. He said, I went everywhere in this bar trying to find him. And I couldn't find him. I asked, you know, one of the guys over here if they had seen him. And nobody knew who he was. He said, it was like, I was the only one that saw him. And I was like, well, that sucks. I wanted to see him too. But, you know, I, I've, that kind of stuff happens a lot out here. He was very tall. He said he had gorgeous eyes. And just, a, he was a beautiful man and didn't know who he was. He said, people would have known who I was talking about, you know, if I walked up to them, hey, did you see that guy? And if they saw him, they would have been like, yeah, well, who is he, you know? Nobody knew. He was just gone. We've had a lot of patrons that have come here that have passed away, whether it's suicide, overdoses, traffic accidents, military, they have been seen here. Um, some occasions, murder. So some people will still see some of those people here. I don't think they're here all the time. I think they just pop in. One that was mentioned before was the beautiful goth guy. That probably happened back in 2016 or 17. He was here one night, went home, decided to go for a walk at night, got hit by a car. I saw him once. He loved it here. And he just said, look how goth I am. I'm a ghost now. Um, I know it's a weird thing, but, you know... It's interesting. We have a lot of spirits here from the time probably this land was discovered up until current because we even have deaths happening around the building. So you'll see spirits from all different time periods. It's really not uncommon. People have seen a cowboy, um, not just the one I talked about, but a different one. I haven't experienced him. Other patrons that have passed away, women in Victorian clothes, women dressed like the 30s. One of the first things I experienced was there was just a few of us here, and I went into the back office area to uh, take a nap. And this woman woke me up from my nap, and she was dressed like the 1970s. She kind of looked like Sissy Spacek. Like, she was really pretty, very 70s. And she said, come on, I want to show you what the place looked like. So she took me to the storage area and showed me what it looked like from her perspective back in the 70s when it was a bar. And she was very friendly, seemed happy, and that was it. That was the interaction. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Well, a few, I guess maybe a few days later, someone who knows a little history about the building, I asked them if they ever knew anything about the building being haunted, and all they said was, well, I know back in the 70s a woman died in the building from a cocaine overdose. I was like, oh, that's got to be her. Now, we opened the building, and when we first did, the storage area was just packed full of crap. Like, there was so much stuff, so we wanted to clean it up so we could use the space better. So we'd, sometimes I would clean it, or we'd have another, like, security person go clean it for a few minutes, and we'd just take turns. One of the security people, she was in the storage area cleaning up the space, 
And she said she felt like somebody had walked up behind her, so she turned around to look, and she didn't see anyone. And then she said, I got chills all over my body, and I heard Donna Summer last dance. She said, I got the hell out of there. (laughs) And she ran out, and I said, I know who that is, but I never got a name of this woman. About a year goes by, and we're, like I said, there was a lot of stuff that had to be cleaned up. Another security person in the storage area was cleaning, and he felt a presence come up behind him, and the song Donna Summer, Last Dance, popped in his head, and he turned around. He didn't see anybody, but he said, I know a woman was standing there. He goes, I was trying not to freak out, but it was kind of hard not to, so I'm just going to come and hang out with you guys for a while. There was one time I was looking for her and I wanted to show my friend her presence. Like, I want you to feel this. You got to feel this woman's presence. She's really got this beautiful energy, you know? She's, and uh, we were looking everywhere for her. And right when I was ready to give up, I was about to walk out a door and she popped out and went, boo, like that. And I nearly fell down because I was not expecting it. It was so funny. But I haven't seen her in a long time. So I'm hoping she found her place, you know, because with ghosts, I always feel bad for them because there's always some kind of tragedy, some kind of emotional pain or fear or just being lost, you know. So I really hope she found her place. While interviewing the staff, I noticed a trend in two types of reports. Common experiences that were had by many that seemed to be attributed to a particular ghost. And then there were those that were just collections of random, singular experiences had at various locations throughout Elysium. I want to take time now to point out some of the different locations and the types of strange phenomena that are reported here. First, let's explore the back bar area, which is the same area the women's restroom is located. If you enter the club, it's to the far back right of the establishment, just behind the main bar on the main floor. This back bar area is also at a lower level than the rest of the club. It has a few steps leading down into it. And you can spot it easily because there are two red felt pool tables in the area. That back bar has had its share of activity through the years. There is a video camera, or was a video camera, I'm not exactly sure where it is now, but there was a video camera that was slightly to the side, and you could see the entire bar except for one neon sign. Sunday night, this place is hopping. Has been for over 20 years, 80s night. Monday and Tuesday, a little bit quiet. Wednesday night, they come in, and the neon sign has been taken off the hooks and placed on the ground. It's just out of sight of the camera. It didn't fall. There was no damage, but it's simply been taken down. Nobody had been back there. There's no reason to take that neon sign down. If they had, that would have been extra work. There was a time I was here by myself doing some painting, And I walked in and I saw a man standing in the back area by the pool tables where that air conditioner is. There's like um, a bench there. So you step up on the bench and you can turn on the AC. And he was wearing a white t-shirt, shaved head, blue jeans, tennis shoes. And I turned and I looked at him and I was like, oh, are you here to help us out today? I thought maybe another friend had let him in. And I was getting a soda, and I looked down just for a split second to fill it, make sure I didn't pour it on myself, and I looked back up and he was gone. And he was a solid apparition. Like, I thought it was a physical living person. I know one of our bartenders see a little boy. I personally haven't seen him. 
I have had an experience with one boy. It was just real brief. I was DJing one night, and he looked like he was probably about 13 or 14, tattered pants and matted long hair. And I thought somebody walked up to make a request because you got to go up the stairs and write down your request. And I caught him out of my corner eye, and I thought, oh, there's a girl about to make a request. So I put on the music, turned around, and it's this young boy. And I could tell he was from an older time period. Kind of got the vibe he might have worked at a mill or something like that and possibly passed away from a sickness. I mean, there's a handful of bouncers and employees around here that I've lost over the years because the ghosts and whatnot freaked them out. Like, I've seen the ghost that Sarah talks about all the time, like, she talks about the cowboy guy that hangs out by the pillars. There's been one time I encountered a kid or something like that, someone who was really short, wandered around back in the storage areas on one of the doors, and I saw, like, a, an eye peeking through uh, the hole where the doorknob used to be. Open the door, nobody's back there sort of thing. I don't know. A lot of these times when... I encounter things like this. I always assume it's that somebody broke into the building. I never really think it's ghost first. Because most of the time when this happens, I'm the only person here in the middle of the night trying to chase down some electrical or plumbing issue when, you know, I'm concerned that maybe some transient has broken in. When I find out that all the locks are still intact and from what I can figure, nobody's torn a panel off the side of the building to find a cubbyhole to get in. At least, at the very least, I'm relieved I don't have to fix anything. In terms of my belief, it's not really uh, is there, isn't there sort of thing. It's, uh, oh, great, this is something else I have to deal with now. You look at the Ghostbusters films from a certain perspective, and they're exterminators that the city of New York didn't really want to have hanging around. So, the blue-collar job. One of my bartenders was telling me one night she was sitting in the back counting money and she heard something and she looked up on the monitor and she said she saw a bottle move like and nobody else is here so nobody moved it you know stuff like that but when you go to play it back it's never recorded which is very frustrating we do occasionally have poltergeist here bottles will fall off shelves things like that to me when i see things like that happen the the spirits that are here that love the building or let me know something's wrong that I need to take care of something. Another common location with a variety of reports was the dance floor and DJ booth, which are on the far left side of the building. When you enter Elysium, the first thing you'll see straight ahead of you is the back of the DJ booth, with a small set of stairs leading up to it. On the opposite side of this wall, the DJ booth opens out into a high-rise platform that overlooks the large open dance floor below. There's also a large stage in the far back of the dance floor, for live bands, performances, and events. There have been other times, like when I rebuilt the stage in here with uh, my older roommate, working on Christmas Eve 2015, I want to say. Put Die Hard up on the big screen whatnot. And then heard a bunch of footsteps and stuff like that coming from the roof. And the room got dramatically colder, and we decided we were going to go hang out at Threadgill's and take the night off. Seemed to be something that was... Uh, Outside our scope of support, above our pay grade, we were just there to fix some things. Anytime me and Sarah are in a big DJ booth, we'll have spirits walk up behind us, and it always feels like it's one of our friends or Sarah's husband. Um, and when we both turn around expecting somebody, there's nobody standing in there. And then there's uh, another uh, cat. I like to call him my roommate. There's uh, 
electrical room sort of above the DJ booth where uh, usually during South by I'll pull myself up in the attic and go take a nap up there amongst the electrical panels and a bunch of dead cables and whatnot like that. Nifty little, I wouldn't call it a room or a crawl space. But at some point, about 30 years ago, some electrician died working on the panel up there. The little sticker on the thing with his name on it. Can't rightly remember what it is. But periodically, I'll poke my head up there and get a pair of work boots and be like, all right, cool. I guess I'm not taking a nap up there right now. It's been more than once that I've run into the electrician in that sort of upstairs electrical room. And, I mean, that's not an area that's open to the public. It's just where a couple of breaker panels are and where I store miscellaneous fix-it sort of stuff. But occasionally I will go up there and try and catch a nap because it's one of the quieter parts of the building during the festivals. And on more than one occasion, you know, I'll sort of pull myself up through the trap door that's there to get into that room and take a gander in the relatively low light that exists up there. I mean, I, I installed track lighting up there a couple of years ago, but for some reason, those bolts never seem to last. Even the nifty LED ones that I put in, they all seem to die relatively quickly. I don't think he's particularly happy with having a roommate, but uh, periodically I'll peek my head up there just trying to catch a nap when I'm particularly sleep deprived or annoyed at what I'm having to deal with that day. And I'll get a pair, usually like, uh, like a pair of brown work boots or something like that kind of dusty right above the lip of that trapdoor and just that's my signal like a tie on the doorknob in a college dorm that he didn't really feel like having a roommate around me. the one time i went up there he managed to knock out a whole bunch of the circuits and cost me an extra four and a half hours of work to go reset a bunch of stuff in preparation for a show we had that night so i just kind of learned my lesson when when i spot those boots i just find somewhere else to catch a nap I've caught in a few ghosts on camera. The club wasn't really busy, and Sarah was like, well, you know, just go take random pictures and see if you catch anything. And there really wasn't anybody on the dance floor, so I kind of stood, in, you know, on the floor. And um, I turned to take a picture, like, towards the DJ booth. I, there was nobody there when I took it. I just, you know, just took a picture. So when I'm looking at my pictures, though, there seems to be a man in a bow tie standing in front of the DJ booth. And me and Sarah were like, well, there was nobody there. And I was like, yeah. And it's actually pretty, like, you can see him pretty well. And the other was, we came to find out, was like two women sitting, facing where the stage now exists. And there is like a, we can't figure it out, it looks like an image of a baby on the stage, which is weird. The women in the photo, now you can see the thing on the stage really well. The women in the crowd, it's a little harder to see. But if you know what you're looking at, then you'll be able to see it. In the men's bathroom, people used to report, and I don't—I haven't heard anything fairly recently, but seeing a black mist come down and go back up in the ceiling, and then people on the dance floor, they would see the mist come down over the dance floor and almost fall on somebody, and their personality would change. But we had done a really hardcore cleansing here. I got like a lot of my friends that have abilities, and we just went to town on the place after that one. There were also a lot of mentions of phantom touches, whispers, and voices. 
Sarah, one of the former staff members, whom you've heard from already, was able to elaborate a bit more on where some of these experiences occurred. There are some consistent locations, like um, around the main bar area. One of the times I heard a whisper, it was on the dance floor, and kind of like a female whispering, which that one it's so hard to be so uh, precise on because, you know, the music's loud. There's probably a lot of distortion in your ears, things like that. But um, a lot of times it did sound like a female whispering really close by, and then you kind of turn around there's nobody there. It's one of those things not everybody kind of talks about. I know it probably happened to several people. Only really a handful of people ever mentioned anything like that. And it was just kind of, don't tell anybody I said this. Uh, people who didn't want to seem crazy or anything like that. I'm pretty sure it probably happened to more people than, than what would let on. And now that I had spent a little time in this building, I was noticing its odd architecture for the first time. There's the strange lower level back bar area. Then there are the large pillars running parallel to the main bar, cutting the building into sort of a third section. Then there was the main dance floor area that also dipped down another level as well. And not to mention, I knew somewhere in this building there was this supposed hidden brothel area. So I decided to take this time to ask the staff a little bit more about what they knew about the building's history. Do you know when this structure... Not the, not the land, but the structure that we're in was built at all? Have you had any re- luck researching that? The best I can tell is that around 1910, this building, the three barns were combined together. I know that really doesn't help you too much. I'm going to say uh, there, I've seen some records of a building being here going back to the 1860s. I'm very sure that's not those three barns. But I would say the barns probably date to the 1880s or 1890s, for sure. The first building on Red River, from what I can tell, from what I really can tell, was 1852. That's moonshines down there. But there wasn't anything out here. This was far east downtown Austin. Well, in terms of the history of the building, most of it's written on the outside on the 7th Street wall, but... Weird shit in terms of, like, the construction of this building. Most of the nails are handmade. I've had a doozy of a time trying to replace a lot of these fixtures. There are signs and pieces of other buildings that have built into, have been built into the walls here. Some of them is, like, ceiling boards, others as shiplap in the walls and whatnot. You can kind of see the history of downtown in terms of what has been stolen and reused to keep this place from falling apart which is all kinds of weird. Well, before it was Atomic Cafe, it was a series of bars going back to at least the 1950s. That's as far as we've been able to trace it. Because before Atomic Cafe, it was in no particular order because I can't remember it off the top of my head. The Split Rail, Kilimanjaro, the Cave Club, Planetarium, Sanitarium. But yeah, this place has been a bar since probably at least the mid-60s. Um, in some form or fashion. From what we can tell, it was a hay barn at some point because there's a uh, a barn winch on one of the walls that's still functional but not connected to anything. At one point, we found the uh, hand-cranked dynamo from an antique phone in a wall, like the one you'd have to crank up to get the, enough juice in the line to make a phone call. Uh, there's a jail cell door in deep storage. We have no idea where that came from. So that's the thing. I know this was a mule barn at some point. Uh, I know that when they were redoing the dance floor the time before I did it, they found Model T parts under the floors. 
and there's a shaft from some old-ass car sticking out of the concrete next to the 7th Street exit door. Crankshaft of some kind. Yeah, there's a bunch of wacky, idiosyncratic things about this building. I mean, I can tell you there's a bunch of weird structural stuff. Like, some of the beams in this building are made out of redwood, which we haven't been able to use as a building material in many, many years, so... It's increasingly rare to find an actual right angle in this building when I'm working on things. It's trying to fix things interesting. And a lot of the construction here is nothing that any sort of modern construction worker would do. There's a lot of uh, strange joinery that I'm not familiar with that I never learned in any of my classes. Things like that. Now this next bit you're about to hear is a bit of history recounted by Sarah Wickham, co-owner of Elysium. What I didn't realize during her interview was that this history is part actual facts that she dug up in the history records and some information that was relayed to her by spirits she encountered in her many years there. As we dive deeper into this series in part two, I hope to draw a clearer line between these two types of accounts for you. But for now, let's hear what Sarah Wickham shared with me initially. Um, I did some research and found out some information myself about this building. Obviously, you can tell it was multiple shotgun buildings, and it was definitely a brothel. It was one of the first brothels in Austin to be run by a woman. It was also one of the first buildings to have indoor plumbing, which is interesting. It was a brothel, as far as I know, from 18, either 86 or 89, up until 1920. And then I heard it became a telephone telegraph company, and then became the police station for a while. And then it's been multiple bars since then. So when I went to do research at the History Center, one of the things I found was at a certain time period, they passed a law saying, from this point on, no brothels can be outside of Boys Town, which was over somewhere on Congress. It was illegal to have a brothel except on that side of town. So I was like, how does this make sense, right? So one of the spirits came to me and she said, this was a brothel for men who were high in society that had high status and could not be seen in that side of town. So it was a secret. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And that that was one of the, what's the term you like to use for them? Fancy ladies. I looked it up. (laughs) So that was one of the fancy ladies Mm -hmm. told you this? Yes. Okay. Well, there definitely are the ones that worked when it was a brothel. There are those that are connected to the building that love it here, that want to stay. There's a lot of, I call them fancy ladies because that was the term back then. They don't like other names. They can be very flirtatious. People will feel them, touch them, pinch them on the butt, maybe pull their hair a little bit. Now, it seemed we were going to hear some of the accounts that had originally piqued my interest when I heard about this case. The legend of the hidden brothel that supposedly is kept off limits to patrons and even most staff. A vast hidden space that remains intact as it once was. A place kept secret because of the level of activity experienced there. Sarah Wickham was about to share some of the more secretive accounts hidden within the walls of Elysium. In this series, we're going to refer to this space as the hidden storage area, as per the owner's request to keep this space private and secret. There was a time where one of our employees, and this was many years ago, around the first when we first opened, she was in the storage area, 
She said she heard a cat meowing, like a little kitten. So she like made her way over to where she was hearing the kitten meow. And when she leaned over to pick up the cat, she said she felt a woman's foot on her back and the woman pushed really hard and she fell. She fell so hard though, it knocked her out. She was bleeding everywhere. She had a concussion. And when they found her, they had to take her to the emergency room. Then, about 10 years later, one of our bartenders wanted to go in the storage area because she heard it was haunted. We're like, okay, we'll just stay close by, you know. She hears a kitten meowing, and she wanders off. And she leans over to pick up a kitten, she thinks, and she literally feels someone shove her. She got shoved so hard when she fell, it broke her leg. You know, even though this was a a brothel run by women, you know, you would think it would be very protective of women. What I got from the women, this wasn't necessarily true. I, I felt like a lot of them were immigrants and it was their only way they could feed themselves. Whoever this particular woman was, I felt like at one point she must have ran the brothel, and I, I got the feeling like she forced abortions onto women that were very brutal, you know, like the old coat hanger, brutal things, and she just seemed like a very hateful, angry person. I don't know what her personal story was, but she didn't treat other women very well or with respect. And this was sort of the madam. One of them, at least. One of them. And you mentioned immigrants, but you feel like the the ladies who were doing the work were immigrants, but she wasn't an immigrant. She was from here. Possibly, yes. The women that worked here didn't really have much of a choice. It's like either we do this job or we starve, you know, kind of thing. Like It felt like there was no choice. That's the only way I know how to describe it. Maybe it wasn't just purely that. I don't know if there's, like, slave trading or anything like that, but there was something very odd about it. What came of this this energy that was so malevolent or so angry? I hope I got rid of her. (laughs) How did you face that? So how did you deal with that? I've done a lot of cleansings here, a lot of crossing over spirits. You know, sometimes they put up a fight, so it, it takes time. I talked with Sarah Wickham, the more I realized that there were several spirits that seemed to have either moved on by now or that she had to deal with and get rid of. In a conversation I overheard her having with Felicia during our interviews, I heard them referencing a female spirit she discovered in the bathroom. Not Emma, but another woman who was scared and needed help. I think the one you're talking about was when I saw her in the girl's bathroom laying on the floor. She looked up at me, and it looked like somebody had punched her really hard in the nose, so she was very bloody, and she reached her hand out for help. She was dressed like the 1920s, like she had a dress on that was like knee-length, like more modern than the 1800s, you know. But after I saw her, um, I had a friend here who wanted to check out the storage area because everybody knows it's haunted. So Sarah um, took me to the the storage area that the public doesn't have access to it. And I had heard some stories about like a cat meowing and stuff like that and how um, people have been tricked to think there's a kitten but there's really not. And so one Wednesday she took me and we went back there and we were just walking up. We weren't expecting anything. 
So there's this one back area that it looks really dark. And Sarah's like, it's usually not this dark. And I was like, okay, because it looks like super pitch black. Solid black. Like something was there. You could not see it. And I could hear this woman begging and crying and telling us, leave now, leave now. He's going to hurt you. And as we got closer, we both, because we're sensitive to energy, we realized that there was something in there. We continued to walk around the storage area and just looking at some of the other rooms in it. And um, everywhere we went, it seemed to get darker and darker, even to a point where our lights from our flashlights weren't even bright enough. And then we felt a male spirit. And then we had, um, like I said before, it used to be a brothel. One of the spirits is a woman that's still around there. And uh, she came to us and was like, you know, he doesn't really like you in here. And I think it's better if y'all left. She heard the woman saying the same thing. And the woman was like trying to push us out of there as quickly as possible. And I was like, no, this is my home. I'm not going to let him run me off. And uh, I came back with my kit and got rid of them. About a week or so later, Sarah actually cleared it out. So that's one of my main experiences. And she stuck around me for a while until she was ready to move on. I've gotten rid of a lot of male energies here that were abusive to women. But she told me her story. It was her husband. He was extremely abusive. It was, she came here to get away from him. He found her, brought her back home. She was miserable, and she showed me she had slipped both of her wrists in a bathtub. So it seems like every time you close a chapter, another opens. It's endless because, I mean, you think about how much time has gone by. The one ghost that I do know haunts here, that I know by name, this story came to me 12 years ago, maybe a little bit more. But... At that time, one of our bartenders, Frapp, was playing pool with one of our security guys named Kyle. Kyle always made fun of me for giving ghost tours. He would laugh at me. He said, ghosts don't exist. I don't believe in ghosts. You go tell your silly stories. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They're waiting for some liquor orders. The place is not open. Kyle takes a shot with the pool cue and then jumps back, saying things that I'm not going to say on your podcast. Frapp turns around, there's nothing behind him, says, what's going on? He says, there was a dude sitting at the bar. Frapp turns around. He's used to ghosts here at this club. He says, all right, what do you look like? He said, well, he's sitting at that bar stool right there. He was wearing cut-off blue jean shorts, a black t-shirt, long hair, baseball cap on backwards, full sleeve tattoos. Frapp almost got a little emotional there. Because to a T, Kyle had described Randall, the owner of the Atomic Cafe nightclub, a good friend of Fraps, who passed away. Kyle had not moved to Austin before Randall's death. He didn't know who Randall was. This was our first sort of confirmation that Randall was still here. The former bar owner of uh, the Atomic Cafe, a guy named Randall, but uh, periodically we'll see him on the uh, on like the security cameras. Just a faint wisp of, you know, hey, who's still out at the bar? And it's like, oh, shit, we're all in the office. We look back, and all of a sudden, he's gone. Other people have reported, you know, seeing just a ghostly bartender up there. 
doing his rounds and whatnot. I heard a lot of things from a lot of people, a lot of kind of parallel stories. The one that really sticks out in my mind, the place used to be called Atomic Cafe back in the 90s, and the former owner, some people who worked there for years and years would see him uh, sitting at the bar, you know, during off hours, or sometimes they'd hear his voice. And I think the one thing that got, got me really feeling the chills was that it was one of my first events that I had ever hosted, and it had a really great turnout. Uh, one of the workers of, of the club came up to me and said, hey, I just heard the former owner's voice saying that we're doing a really good job, you know, and that he's really happy. And that really meant a lot to me. You know, whether it's true or not, the fact that somebody said it was just completely awesome. Patrons have seen him off and on. I have experiences with him in the DJ booth, although they've gotten less and less over the years. Um, so he's not like a ghost wandering around here. He's definitely crossed over, but he does come and visit and checks in and let us know what kind of job we're doing. So it's really great. It's like an angel watching over the place. I remember him. I remember meeting Randall the first time I came in here when I was 17 years old. He's a great man, and it's comforting to know that he's still here today. If this was my regular tour at this point, we would hold up a pint toast to Randall and have a drink with him one last time. I concluded my first round of interviews with the staff at Elysium and took the audio home to listen and study over the course of the next few weeks. One thing about this case had me extremely curious. This was the first time we'd be bringing our clairvoyant friend Sarah to an establishment that was owned by another person with a similar gift. And although many of the spirits and energies that owner Sarah Wickham described to me today have either moved on or been banished by her, I was still very interested to see what our Sarah would see here. Sarah Wickham's friend and colleague with Texas Ghost and Spirit Intervention, Felicia, ended the evening with something I'd like to share here at the close of this episode. I think that it's it's awesome to have somebody come in here with a different perspective, another medium come in, because Sarah, my Sarah, is so used to being in here and she's familiar with the with the spirit energy and she does notice things that are different but she's either working or there's a lot of people here you know there's a lot going on usually when she's in here so to have somebody come in and really say well this is what I'm picking up just to see how um, number one how validating it is from her perspective and what else she's picking up that Sarah hasn't been able to pick up because she's so used to the energy in here. Sarah Wickham gave Alexis Tao and I a full tour of the building, showing us all the areas in which experiences and sightings had been had over the years. And finally, at the end of our tour, Sarah took us to the infamous hidden storage area. As we stepped into this dark, hidden, vast space, I could sense we were in a place that many don't go to anymore. It was literally like stepping back in time. And although I hadn't done all my research yet to try to validate the theories that this was once in fact a hidden brothel, I could clearly see a hallway with eight doorways leading to eight small rooms. Now, I couldn't wait to bring our Sarah through these doors of Elysium and see what her eyes would see if she were standing here where I was standing right now. Thanks for listening to episode 26 of the Night Owl Podcast. This investigative series at the Elysium Nightclub will continue in part two, which we'll be releasing on March 30th. As of right now, I may be putting our campfire episodes on hold 
until I can find a better solution to juggling my day job and show schedule. I want to make sure that I'm not killing myself again with no sleep and endless work days and nights. There's a game plan in place to have some help with the campfires, and if that comes to fruition, I'll be back on track with those episodes releasing on the second Monday of each month. For now, though, investigative episodes will remain on schedule releasing the last Monday of every month. Thank you for your patience, listeners. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Sarah, Alexis, and Tao, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. Jennifer for managing our merch, Patreon, and many other irrational tasks I throw her way. My dad, Sam, for his incredible historical research. Bo for helping produce this busy indie show. My assistant editing team, which include Alex, Alexis, Bo, Jennifer, and Mikey. And thanks to Sean for his help with our story submissions, Alicia for her creative design work and marketing, and lastly, Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. And a very special shout out to my wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours, and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And a special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Oh Boy Print Shop. If you have the need for custom t-shirt printing, you can feel at ease in the hands of Oh Boy Print Shop. Be sure to mention the Night Owl Podcast to get $50 off your first order. Don't forget to stop by Buenos Aires Cafe and ask for our new Hidden Spirits menu behind the bar. Grab a special haunted cocktail and support the show. Thank you all, and stay restless out there. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.